Them, which is a digital news outlet for the LGBTQ community, compiled some jokes from Twitter, and I want to tell you some of those jokes and see how you react, okay? Okay. All right. This is a blind react. First one. From at Spacer Mass, I, a trans lesbian, married a bisexual. Does this make us a BLT? <laughs> yes, and that is my new favorite definition for BLT. At Lizzie Weird, looks at trans girl couple. So, which of you is the sub, and which of you is the sub pretending to be a dom? Fuck, that one hits close to home. Fuck. <laughs> Thought you'd like that one. Uh, there were a lot in this about changing a light bulb, but I picked out two. Um, <laughs> At Miss Poas, how many trans people does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, I was going to guess none, because people change light bulbs for us. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Please explain. (laughs) Nope, end of joke. Oh, okay. I love that. Uh, How many trans people does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. But people will always ask you if the light bulb has had, you know, the change. (laughs) And uh, another light bulb one uh, at Translady UK. <laughs> How many trans people does it take to change a light bulb? One, but they have to live in the dark for two years to make sure that they want it changed, and then get the opinions from two electricians to make sure it needs changing. Oh my god! Yes. Oh, I love these two. Holy shit, those are good jokes. <laughs> I, I thought they were pretty good, too. Uh, okay, and here's the last one I picked off the list. Uh, this one's from NBTX. When I was crowdfunding for top surgery, I announced it by saying, I need to get something off my chest. <laughs> that one's subtler, but I like it. <laughs> A little subtle. Um, my, my favorite name for estrogen is titty tablets. <laughs> But another, my second favorite one has to be antihistamine. <laughs> Hi, I'm Anna, a transgender person. And I'm Cam, your dad. And this is The Transgender, a podcast chronicling my transition. And a cisgender man learning how to support it. I recently had my frequent appointments, checking on my hormone levels and my blood work and everything. And in that uh, appointment, we discussed cholesterol levels and some other things. And, you know, me being who I am and the life I lead and not having a lot of disposable income, I've been struggling to be able to diet properly, especially for hormones and things. And so she made a comment about my uh, nurse practitioner. She made a comment about how last time my cholesterol was messed up. And I was like, oh, I bet it'll probably be messed up this time too. And she looks at me and she's like, oh, well, do you want to switch medications or medication types? And I was like, you know, I kind of thought about it. I like where I like the oral tablets and whatever. And she goes, well, you know, there's also the injection and the, sh- and the patch. And I was like, not the patch. That's a personal choice of mine. But I was like, I'd be interested in trying the injection. Holy shit, you guys. <laughs> First of all, my insurance originally did not cover the needles and the syringes for it, which would have cost me about $35. And that is a one month supply. 
So, you know, that's just the needles and the syringes. I'm so glad that it covered my medication. And I was thankfully able to get it to cover those as well because it's necessary for the actual injection and everything. So there are two different types of needles in one syringe as well as the medication. And I've given plenty of shots before. I've worked in the clinic. I have a lot of experience doing that. Needles don't frighten me. And so I was like, oh, this will be fine. Growing on a needle and puncturing a medication, knowing that you're drawing it for yourself, that you are going to be injecting into yourself, is a much different experience and feeling. I can only imagine that, uh, yeah. you, know, you have that anticipation <laughs> of like, I'm going to be jamming this into myself in a, in a couple minutes here. So I changed out the needle. There are two different types. One is much bigger to draw the medication up, and the second one is a hell of a lot smaller, but much longer, and that's for actually injecting. So generally, what I'm used to is a about a 21 to 25 gauge needle, which is pretty small. Electricians will know that wire gauges, as they get bigger, the size gets smaller. It's the same with needle gauges. So 25 gauge is very, very thin. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Well, when I was doing injections, we used a 5 eighths inch needle. Pretty short, really just to go into the bicep. Yeah, these ones are fucking inch inch and a half needles they are so goddamn long oh my god yeah and so i like switched it out i was like um i'm supposed to inject this into my thigh and i've got big thighs but they're not that big so i like puncture it and it doesn't feel like anything a needle that small you're not gonna feel anything and so i've also been told i give pretty good injections so i was like calm and collected and did my technique of you if you flick the skin here tip if you flick the skin right where you're gonna inject it nobody will know that you injected it and it's super easy so i puncture wait what does the flicking of the skin do it uh stimulates the nerves there and so you're like recovering your brain is like processing that you got flicked and then if you poke the needle in right where you flicked it nobody notices that the needle went in interesting yeah it's a very fun technique so i injected this inch and a half long needle into my leg and I was like, okay, I've injected EpiPens before. Like, this this is kind of the same thing, right? No. <laughs> With a needle that long, the likelihood that you're going to hit the bone is not low. And I did hit my bone. Thankfully, again, oh, it was God. a very small needle. So it didn't hurt or anything. I just felt it hit. And I was like, oh, I should probably stop. And so, you know, like, I was just kind of ready to start the injection. A 25-gauge needle has such a low flow rate, I had to hold this goddamn needle in my leg for a solid, like, minute and a half while I was just pushing on the plunger trying to inject this medication into my leg. And then I just dealt with it. Now, for the sake of um, our audience, and even for me in, in this case, can you explain why you are subjecting yourself to this uh, this <laughs> New needle? form of torture? I mean, what? I am on hormones, which are naturally produced by your body, specifically by specific organs that you may or may not have. For example, if you are a person who has testes, those are producing testosterone and androgen and a lot of other hormones that cause secondary sex characteristics and primary sex characteristics that come along with being a masculine human. Women, on the other hand, are producing estrogen. They also are producing androgen and a little bit of testosterone and everything because in the metabolic processes, those are broken down and changed into progesterone and estrogen and things like that. Hormones affect your secondary sex characteristics. I am taking hormones to change my secondary sex characteristics to match that of my gender identity, which is female. Estrogen for me causes breast growth and sensitivity, areola and nipple growth and sensitivity, shrinkage of everything. 
under <laughs> under the waist basically it changes how my skin is like my skin is much softer my eating habits have changed a lot my sleeping habits have changed a lot my hair growth and patterns have changed there are a lot of things that come with hormones and you've been taking hormones for about a year now, yep a right? little over a year my annual hormone date is very easy to remember because it's thanksgiving and so you were saying so you originally were going through this um hormone replacement as a uh, pill form yes. but there also is a patch and now you've decided that a needle um being doing an injection would be a, a good route to try out here yes so all of them have their own perks because of my medical history i had basically been told that injection would be a little bit too unsafe right away for me and so it was kind of up to whether i would be taking the pill or the patch again like i said my personal preference was not to use the patch think of like a nicotine patch you stick it on you leave it on for a day a week however long i tell you and the medication is absorbed through your skin transdermally <laughs> transdermally <laughs> Generally, it has a lower dose of medication than the other two forms do. The second up is going to be the pills. When I switched over to my injection, I was taking about six milligrams um, of estrogen a day. And I was really starting to feel some changes at that point. That was kind of where we kind of figured my maintenance dose was going to be. And at a certain point, my nurse practitioner actually recommended I start taking the medication sublingually, which means that I place it under my tongue and let it dissolve because underneath your tongue is a lot of blood vessels and it's very vascular. And so it kind of bypasses your whole digestive tract a little bit better than a swallowing the pill would. And then the last one is an injection, which goes into your muscle, intramuscular, and that is a dose of the medication the estrogen, estradiol in my case, and a suspension, which is like preservative and also just something that your body breaks down pretty easily without having very many side effects there. So I ended up getting a five milliliter or a, um, yeah, I, got, I ended up getting a five milliliter bottle, a uh, vial of the medication, which has a hundred milligrams of estradiol in it. So... I have to self-draw up that medication and inject it myself, and I have been trained on that, and I give training out to people who don't have the same training that I do, but it injects a very high dose, 10 milligrams in my case, because um, I'm taking half a milliliter, and it injects it directly into your muscle, which pretty quickly dissolves it into your bloodstream. It, it avoids the digestive process pretty much entirely, and it is a little bit better for your liver because your liver isn't trying to process that much hormone all the time. On the negative side of things, I, after giving myself my injection on Monday, felt totally fine. Went to bed, didn't really have anything going on. Got up the next morning at about nine, which is kind of my normal time right now, and um, was asleep all day, basically. I tried to eat half a bowl of cereal and felt like vomiting and then went back to bed because I had the worst headache of my life. Um, I was out of commission. And I've been noticing slowly more headaches and migraines than I had been getting previously, which is a common side effect, especially for such a high dose of estrogen. That is common, but also, if it's concerning, talk to your medical provider. We don't offer medical advice here. Um, we are a trans joke podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are kind of the three options for trans women. I know testosterone, the most common way I think that it is administered is injection. Trans men, don't quote me on that. 
but that is at least the most common form that I've seen being used. And that gives you secondary char- uh, secondary sex characteristics of masculine people. Um, you'll grow more facial hair. Your hair will grow thicker. If you have male pattern baldness in your family line, that will start to show itself more than likely. And also the risks of different cancers increase. That's a fun one that I haven't touched on. Basically, trans people are like, have, have a chance of every type of cancer associated with both male and female people. But we have less of a chance than one or the other. So like, I have less of a chance of breast cancer than a cis woman. But it's still higher than a cis man. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I am an equal playing field and also I am like a superhuman. I know you're a superhuman. <laughs> I um, appreciated that discussion. Um, I think that actually then is a good transition into our main topic for today. Remember that we're always looking for your questions, uh, which you can email to us at questions at transgendapod.com or uh, DM us on any social media outlet that you are a part of at transgendapod. But uh, I want to ask you just kind of a couple of rapid fire questions. A few things that I'm I'm seeing are fairly common that folks would like to know about um, just sort of generally uh, in the communities that we are a part of and just kind of see what your reactions are and, and maybe talk those things through a little more thoroughly as we feel like it. So uh, if you're ready. Yeah, oh. I will answer your questions. Most of the answers I am almost certain are already no. So <laughs> That's <laughs> just all right. preface. So here's the first question. Does being trans mean you need to do hormone therapy uh, and medically transition at some point? Absolutely not. Being trans is a journey for every person. My journey involves hormones, consults for surgery, and hopefully eventually actual surgical procedures. I know plenty of trans people who are not on hormones, who will never be on hormones. People who have been on hormones for years and don't want surgeries, won't get surgeries. There's a lot of risks in both hormones and surgery. And I kind of touched on that at the beginning of this episode. All that it does is help relieve the depression and other feelings that come with gender dysphoria. That being said, should you ever ask a trans person if they are planning on or have been on hormone therapy, are seeking medical intervention for their um, identity or anything like that, absolutely fucking not, you asshole. Do not ask anybody about their genitals, let alone a trans person. Yes, I am very open about my identity and everything, but I am also a fucking queen. And some people are introverted fucking queens. So let's maybe just not. Just don't ask people. I mean, this is it. Like, a lot of what we discussed. Don't be a dick. (laughs) Please don't be a dick. (laughs) Let the trans individual lead the conversation around what is an extremely sensitive topic about how their journey is going. And if they want to talk about medical transition, you know, there there are a number of friends of ours that have been very public about their transition because transitioning medically can be extremely expensive. And so there's a lot of crowdfunding for top surgery. There is, you know, a lot of things out there that we can do to support our trans people in their feeling more euphoric in their gender. But on the flip side, it's not up to us, uh, especially cis people, to be prying into those more sensitive topics. Speaking of which, what are you going to (laughs) do? Well, I've I've already kind of described that. So um, I am on hormones, which means that I have already started my medical intervention. I also have been seeking therapy for about a year and a half or so now. 
which is another medical intervention, one that people don't necessarily associate because like mental health and physical health are very different aspects of our being, but they are very interconnected. And I have already had a facial feminization consult, which is sort of a surgical plastic surgery procedure to make one's face look more feminine. I basically was told that my face was too beautiful to operate on, which was a very, very euphoric. It's extremely affirming. I am planning on having both top surgery, and by that I mean breast augmentation surgery, which means that... I will basically have implants to increase the size and volume of my chest. And I'm also planning on having specifically the vaginoplasty, which is a type of procedure that involves creating an artificial vaginal canal. Our next question, is being transgender the same as your sexual orientation? Cis people, cishet people, I should say. I know that this one trips you up all the time. No, gender how you express yourself via gender and other things and who the hell you're attracted to are all are all different things gender and gender expression are much more connected for example i'm female and i present more femininely you my father are a cis man and you present more masculine than feminine but i also know people who identify as female and present more masculine and vice versa or gender fluid people who lean more towards one side or the other or whatever you are you know i've I've seen all sorts of non-binary people who are like i want to exist as a potato sack but then another day i want to be a beautiful princess right i mean that's that's the most interesting thing for me in learning is there are quite a few people out there who are living in a fluid state uh, such that you will want to ask them uh, what their pronouns are on a given day so you can understand where their identity is at, at on a given day. And I realize that that takes some work for those of us that are not trans or are not are not non-binary because that's not how we're thinking about the world and we've been conditioned a certain way. But it's really important for the gender identity for someone who is experiencing that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say was, um, you know, I, I think we use the word transgender very intentionally. Uh, we do not say transsexual. Oh, it's God. a word that exists in the um, official sort of dictionaries of what we're talking about, but it's not what we're talking about. It's the same reason we don't say transvestite, because those those are extremely loaded terms that don't speak to the topic at hand, which is experiencing gender euphoria by finding that that gender that is who you are and and expressing your gender identity. Am I right to say that? Yeah, I would also just like to add being a trans person who very much hates the terms trans transsexual and transvestite. I have been called a transvestite early in my social transition, and I have been asked if I'm a transsexual, both of which, like you said, are extremely loaded terms. Please, 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 please never use those terms. They are a slur <laughs> in uh, in the same way that you might say that a lesbian might be a dyke, for example. You know, they they are terms that, yes, the queer community is working on reabsorbing and claiming, but they are still quite loaded. That being said, their basis in science and scientific medical speech is not lost on me. Specifically, you should never refer to a transgender person as a 
transsexual because most of the time they are not going to be. Transsexual is a very specific term talking about the going across the sexual divide, which means that they have had a gender affirming surgery specifically on their genitalia. Also, transvestite, like transvestite, crossdresser, kind of all those terms are not queer in and of themselves. I say that very cautiously because I realize that for some people, you know, expressing themselves across the gender divide would make them transvestites wearing clothes of the across the gender divide. But I don't and I don't think that we should associate drag queens or anybody else who wants to wear whatever clothes they want to wear as a, one, a part of the queer community, unless if they already are, which if they have a queer identity, fantastic. But also that we should call them anything but what they want to be called you know like don't comment on somebody's appearance unless you're complimenting them is really the way that i think about it and even then be really thoughtful really, <laughs> about what really that compliment is going yeah. to be because something that you may think of as a compliment as a cisgender person in our society may not come across exactly the way that you were thinking it was going to additionally um while i'm thinking about it intersex people are often left out of the conversation when we talk about transsexual people. And that term, I'm sure, is almost as, if not fully as loaded as it is against trans people. Um, and so intersex people, I, I know, I know, I know you, I feel you. Well, that's actually our next question. So let's go ahead and uh, launch into that. What is gender non-conforming? And is that the same as being intersex? And I think because you brought it up here, what is intersex? This is a complicated topic that I actually do not feel qualified to talk about, seeing as how I am not myself intersex, nor do I have very much information on the intersex community. That being said, what I do know is that sex characteristics that do not necessarily align themselves specifically with male or female, if we're looking at the binary. It's extremely broad term. I mean, that's, you know, yes. if you look at thoughtful definitions for intersex, you're talking about a wide continuum of conditions that would say your reproductive qualities or your sexual anatomy doesn't fit into traditional scientific boxes that we might classify people into. I think the part of the question that was leading in this was, what is gender nonconforming? So gender nonconforming is sort of a mix of everything that we've talked about here. Gender nonconforming is specific to the binary. The way that I like to describe gender to people is you imagine a line, and that's one-dimensional space, right? You've got the binary, you've got male, you've got female, and then there's a space in between where non-binary people go. But just calling them non-binary people kind of misses out on a lot of different identities, right? So then you expand that into a two-dimensional graph, all right? So you've got lots of plot points and everything. You've got male and female on either side still. You've got non-binary people directly in the center. And then you've got masculine and feminine on the top and bottom, or whatever you want to put there. Then you can start to plot all over that grid, right? So let's say I am a female individual, but I am presenting much more masculine. Maybe I am very confident in my female identity, and so that places me way up on the female side, but also like way over on the masculine side, so I am like right in the corner. I am masculine, but also very female. Or on the opposite, maybe I'm very male, but present very female. 
or feminine, what have you. That is gender expression. There are more steps to it that I like to kind of describe, but that's a very basic way of looking at it. Is it's a it's a grid system. So gender nonconforming is exactly that concept. You do not fit into the quadrants that we identify with one gender slash sex slash whatever. So if you are a male person and you present very masculine, you are conforming to the gender stereotypes. You are gender conforming. If you are female and you present very feminine, you are conforming to the gender stereotypes. The moment that you break free from that, or even edge close to it, like I've known people to, I mean, I myself get misgendered for having my hair up in a bun, wearing EMS pants and a cute top. I still get misgendered. And like, I don't think that I'm not conforming to the gender binary, but other people do. So it's kind of like up to individual interpretation as well. But wherever you fall on that grid, if it is not specifically in the societal expectation of what you should be presenting as, you are not conforming. Do you like to save money? I know I do. That's why I've started using Upside. Upside is an app that gives you cash back on your everyday purchases. I personally save up to 22 cents per gallon on gas, and there are deals for up to 30% back at restaurants. And if you use our offer code, you can save an additional 15 cents per gallon on your first gas purchase and support the transgender while you're at it. Just go to Upside.com to get the app and use offer code Cameron 634 Nine three six. That's C A M E R O N six three four nine three six to get fifteen more cents off when you fill up your tank. Make your dollars go further with cashback from Upside. Well, and I I appreciate that there's a lot of nuance to how this works because you know one thing that I thought of in this is you know society has gatekept how we look at gender for so, so long. And I think about terms like a tomboy, you know, where the, oh, God. the idea that you're not feminine enough, and so we've decided as a society to provide this other kind of label for you. And uh, somebody who is acting more masculine but presenting as female, you know, I, I, it just... It's unfortunate because that's that's the sort of way that our culture says, no, no, this is unusual. You shouldn't be acting this way. That has created the entire struggle for trans people to be able to live their identities because we, we've been gatekeeping people's genders for so long. Yeah, so I would like to broach the topic of erasing gender and I shouldn't say gender, erasing the stereotypes of gender, which is a, a thing that a lot of my non-binary folks and even my binary cis and trans folks have brought up to me. And my whole concept of this is I do not believe that we should eradicate the gender stereotypes because as a binary trans person, they really help me. It allows me to fit into a role that allows me to express myself and be recognized as my gender much, much, much more easily than if there weren't any gender stereotypes. Right, because those social cues exist, you're able to play to those social cues so that you can feel even more euphoric when people recognize based on 
you know, the things that society has drilled into their head about what a woman should be. I, I entirely get that. It's it's funny. I think about, um, you know, how sci-fi plays out this androgynousness of, you know, like genders are eliminated and everyone conforms in a different way to androgyny. And, um, you know, and, and that's yeah. not euphoric for you. No, exactly. So, like, I've heard all sorts of arguments from all sides of the table. And I just want the people who believe that gender stereotypes should be eradicated to think about binary trans people as well of like i recognize non-binary people and i want them to have as safe of a space as binary trans people as cis people have that being said we can give rights and we can give power to people without removing those rights from other people or removing those power from other people as a binary trans person, I don't want the gender stereotypes to go away. Would I like everybody to become more accepting? 100%. But if we just eradicate all gender, then where do I fit in? Because I'm, I am, I fall very closely to the center of the graph that we were talking about on my female identity. I am a demi girl. I fall under she, her, fae, femme pronouns. That means that I'm also non-binary, but I present very femininely, and I want to be recognized as very feminine. So, But we have people who are really important in our world who are non-binary people, and we have to have room in that. Yes. So it's not and or, it is um, yes and. You know, exactly, like, yes. Uh, however you are presenting needs to be accepted within our, our society. And you know what? It's baby steps. That's the thing is that I think the idea of playing to traditional gender roles as part of progress forward is not a horrible thing. It's a step in the right direction, but we do need to be moving faster in how we accept people for their gender identities. Exactly. That actually maybe is even a good segue to the last question I have for you, um, which is, how do people realize that they're trans? Ask me, even... A couple months ago, and I probably would have said dysphoria. And while I think that there is a certain level of that, yes, you know, I think that dysphoria plays a very big part in a lot of trans people's lives. That is not the end-all be-all. The end-all be-all is feeling euphoric. Gender euphoria is the feeling, I'm going off my own description here, gender euphoria is the feeling of delight and happiness and wholeness when you are properly recognized for who you are and who you are presenting as. Do I think that there is a certain level of questioning and feeling dysphoric and feeling that euphoria that goes along with that? Absolutely. You know, I think that I, I, I've not, I cannot say that I have met a trans person who doesn't feel dysphoria. Like that is a common trait, but among trans people, that doesn't make you trans. What makes you trans is knowing that your sex and sexual characteristics of your body do not match the gender that you feel. Whether that be non-binary, whether that be going across the binary to the other side, whatever. Wherever you end up, that's what makes you trans. And there are ways to help tell, but honestly, trans is just kind of up to you. I really like the way that you put that because, hey, cis folks, I want to give you some some room here to say it's okay to feel dysphoric as a cis person too. Um, you know that that does not mean that you're trans, but um, I 
there is a very slight dysphoria that I have had in my life that because of the way society treats men, um, and, and I don't mean wah, wah treats men, but I just mean, hey, suck it up, be manly, you know, um, any kind of feminine inclination in my life has always been repressed because society doesn't doesn't want that. If I'm presenting as a man and I am a, a male cisgender person, having anything about my identity that would be considered feminine is sort of laughed off. And so, I, you know, this is, this is feeling dysphoria is not exclusive to trans people. It's not exclusive to anyone. It's part of a lot of people's experience. And if you're experiencing any dysphoria, hey, that's a really good starting place to getting some empathy for what a trans person might be dealing with, that their entire identity is built around social norms that don't match um, what their their gender identity is. So um, use that as the foundation for how we love and support our trans people in our lives. So this week's gender euphoria um, is another one of mine. But I, like I said, please, everyone, send in your gender euphorias. Just people, trans people, my potato sacks out there, toasters, whoever. Comes from tonight when I was at a holiday party with a couple of my colleagues who I used to work with when I was presenting cis. And many of whom knew me long before I transitioned. It is such a good feeling knowing that there are people out there who, even though, you know, they may not fully understand what you're going through, at least are able to accept you for who you are. Um, And especially those people who knew you before you were able to express the real you. Yeah, I mean, you have been loved and adopted by uh, this group of people that you worked with so closely. Um, And... I have enjoyed watching that as uh, also a person who works in that workplace and, and knows these people extremely well. It's uh, it's just so cool. I mean, there's there's something about working there that feels so special because this is a really accepting community of people in general. But uh, it was fun tonight. There was there was no getting misgendered no. or misnamed no. in that room. There was just people that believe in you and wanted to support you and and want yep, to support you. All very you. good people. And to those of you. And I'm sure that you know who you are, who are listening. Thank you. I love you, especially. And I love and support you, especially. If you have questions about transitioning or supporting someone who is transitioning, and you'd like us to talk about it on the show, please shoot an email to questions at transgendapod.com. Be sure to check out our episode description for links to resources on today's topics. Thanks for listening. I've been Cam. I've been Anna. And this has been The Transgender. Love you all, except the bigots.